the restored glory, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the restoration of Christ's glory. But why was it necessary to restore his glory? That's the question that I'd like us to consider for these next few moments. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would guide us and direct us throughout this study of your word. Use it, I pray, to the utmost of your own honor and praise and glory, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The restoration of the glory of Christ. The resurrection was just the beginning of that. You see, his glory had to be restored because Christ left his glory when he came to earth. Christ is God. That doesn't mean just now. He was God before he came to earth. He was God before the world began. And he will forever be God. But we see that the deity of Jesus Christ in the very fact that he was sent. And as he is sent, he was already the son of God. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 31 to 32. Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 32. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, the first time that I read that, I thought, well, obviously, God expects us uh, to to leave father and mother, to form our families. Um, he doesn't expect us to live forever with mom and dad. He expects us to form our own household, our own family. So I thought this is logical, but why did God say this to Adam and Eve? Since Adam and Eve didn't have to leave father and mother, uh, in order to form a family? Well, the answer to the question, I used to say it this way, well, Adam and Eve had to hear that because they had to know that someday their kids were going to grow up and have to leave home. Even though they had no father and mother, they were now father and mother to a multitude of children. But it doesn't end there. The Apostle Paul here tells us, under inspiration in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The mystery there is not why he told Adam and Eve this. The mystery was an unknown truth that God actually spoke this about Christ. Someday, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally God's Son, would have to step out of his Father's house in heaven and come down here to earth 
and there suffer and die in our place that we might have eternal life. That's the great mystery about which it speaks. Christ left his father's house and he took upon him human flesh. First Timothy chapter three, just a couple of books further ahead. First Timothy chapter three and verse 16, first Timothy 3:16. It says, "And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It wasn't an angel that humanity saw. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Yes, the eternal son of God, with all the glory of God, that he shared with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. All of that glory had to be left behind to come and dwell in human flesh, to be totally man as well as totally God. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, again, the Apostle John then uh, brings to our attention uh, the, the need to understand how God had sent his son. He says in 1 John 4, verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son. He was already the son when the father sent him. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. To be the savior of the world, he had to be a man. But he had to do nothing to be the son of God. He was always the son of God. He was God, the son, as well as the son of God. And in John 3.16, which are verses I'm sure that many of you would know by memory, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse, verses 16 to 18. The Apostle John wrote, For God so loved the world. Maybe you want to say it with me if you know this verse from memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten son. The son of God came to earth and God the father gave him, sent him to earth. Now verse 17, he goes on and he says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
the restored glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had to have that glory restored because the Bible very clearly tells us, going back to 1 John again in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, um, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his only begotten son. Now, if I tell you, I sent my son, he didn't become my son after I sent him. He had to already be my son for me to say, I sent my son. Herein is love, 1 John 4.10 says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how does anyone ever come to the wrong conclusion? When the Bible is so clear, and by the way, I haven't read all the verses at all by any means that talk about uh, God sending his son. I've only read a few selected verses that mention God sent his son and the reason why he sent him. But in the fourth place, I would say, how do people confuse this and think, that he either on the one hand became the son of God when he was born here on earth or think uh, that he was other than the son of God, that son of God is like a title of honor or something like that uh, that was bestowed upon him when he was nothing more than an angel. Well, they quote from from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. This is where they quote from to come up with that idea. Hebrews 1, 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time? Now, by the way, that at any time in the Greek means never ever. Okay? Um. There's no way to properly translate that into English except to say, at any time. In other words, never did he do this. Um, God the Father never ever said to one of the angels, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father and he shall be to me a son. God the Father never ever said to an angel, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, a lot of people get hung up on that word begotten. You see, they think of begotten as an element of time. And they say, See, he was begotten. Uh, you can't be a begotten God, they say. Uh, so he came to a certain place in time where he became 
the Son of God. A very famous pastor near here says that. Um, I totally disagree with that because he's not actually interpreting the New Testament Greek. He's trying to interpret our understanding of the English word begotten uh, without ever actually going into depths of what this means. Have I begotten? So why does it say that he was begotten if he is the eternal son of God? While the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, try to use Hebrews 1.5, defining the word begotten in a way to proclaim their false idea that Christ uh, is not God, we must not forget that the Bible here is emphasizing a comparison uh, of Christ with the angels. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Christ was the archangel Michael. Well, but the verse actually says, unto which of the angels said he at any time? He never said this to an angel, not the archangel Michael, nor any other angel. He never said this to an angel. Thou art my son. That is very clear. It's present tense. You are my son. Then he says, this day have I begotten thee. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word geneneka uh, means to give the same genetic material to another. For instance, I begat my son Daniel. Um, he carries my genetic material. He is of my genetic makeup. Now, he's also of Elaine's genetic makeup. Sometimes, I'm proud to say, he's my genetic son. Sometimes I say, well, he's your son to Elaine, okay? Um, but regardless, he always carries my genetic makeup, amen? And do you realize that not to, that taking the coronavirus vaccine doesn't change your genetic makeup. You're still your father's son. Amen? Amen? Um, you know, I, I read on the internet that some people are saying, you know, and I, I had somebody call me about that. And I said, I just got my second shot. And they said, well, did you notice any changes? And I said, yeah, when I look in the mirror, I look like a lizard now. Um, that's just joking, folks. I still look just as ugly as I did yesterday, okay? Um, it didn't change a thing. Um, I am still a McCubbins. I'm still the son of my father and the son of my mother. Um, I still bear their genetic makeup. And that's what this word basically means. You realize gegeneka uh, means, it's, it's the word from which we get the word English word genes. Genes. 
we get it from this Greek word. And what it means is that he bears the exact genetic makeup, the essence of God the Father. He always bore that essence. And today, this day, okay, you bear my genetic makeup. He is still today as he was before he created the world. He is still the eternal son of God. Christ eternally shared all the glory of God with God the Father. In John, John's Gospel, chapter 17 and verse 5, John 17 and verse 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Notice that. He says, I shared in your glory before there even was a world, before you created all things. I shared that glory that, that you have. In John chapter 17, again, in verses 22 to 26, the apostle John wrote, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, um, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou lovest me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus Christ here talks about the glory that he shared with God the Father eternally. That intimate relationship, what we call that unique relationship of unity between the persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again talks about that glory that he had before he came to earth and became a man. So that glory that he had was seldom seen when he was on earth. In Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, the book before the book of John, Luke chapter 9, verse 32, it says, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, 
And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him, that is, Moses and Elijah. So that when we have here in the scriptures a description of one time that they actually beheld his glory. John, of course, spoke of that, but so did Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, Peter wrote, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So that leaves me with the question. If Christ had to have his glory restored. And the resurrection was the beginning of the restoration of his glory. What did the Lord Jesus Christ have to leave when he left heaven and became a man? This leads me to Philippians chapter 2. One of the hardest passages in the world for me to contemplate. Because no matter how many times I read it, I cannot fathom my Savior doing this because he loved me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, we should want the mind of Christ. But when Paul goes on to describe it, this is what is puzzling. He says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you realize what Christ had to leave in heaven? Set aside. It says here he emptied himself. In English it's translated became of no reputation. Ekonese in Greek, altoi ekonese means he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Of what things? 
Now, I'm going to give you verses, but I'd suggest that you write them down. I don't want to pause while you look them up. I just want you to capture what Christ was willing to set aside, of which he emptied himself to become a man so that he could be 100% man and still be 100% God. Number one, he emptied himself of his own judgment. In John 8, 15 to 16, it says, ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. He left judgment up to God the Father. Do you ever leave judgment up to God the Father? Or do you have to figure out the judgment all by yourself? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was willing to let God the Father do all the judging. Secondly, the independent exercise of his own will. All of us as human beings have our own will. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ had to set aside his own will. You realize he's in the garden and he's praying. He says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was his will. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, it didn't matter what he wanted. He had to leave that in heaven to come and save your soul. And so it says in John 5.30, I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. The third thing that Christ had to leave. You remember the first two, right? The independent use of his own judgment the independent exercise of his own will. Thirdly, the independent use of his own power to do the works of God. Cannot do God's work in your own power. Has to be in the power of God. Jesus Christ, even though he were a son, he set aside using his own power. You know, they often sing that song. He could have called 10,000 angels. Amen? Well, actually, it was more than 10,000. Bible says he could have called 12 legions, which is more than 10,000. Um, he could have called all of that power. He had the power. He could have struck dead everybody that nailed him to the cross. Instead, he willingly set aside his power to do the works of God, to allow the power of God to do those things. John 5, 17, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh here too, and I work. In John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, 
they bear witness of me. He allowed God the Father to do the works. The fourth thing that he set aside, the independent exhibition of his own glory. Everybody likes the credit for doing something. Ronald Reagan once said, there's no telling how much good a man could do if he just didn't care who got the glory. You know that's true? Everybody wants the glory. But Jesus left his glory behind to come and inhabit human flesh. Everybody would have believed him if he just walked around with a halo around his head, amen? If he had just floated six inches off the ground, everybody would have believed him. If he was just shining like the sun, everybody would have believed him. But no, he looked like you and I. He looked like a man. He left his glory behind. John 5, 43 to 44. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? In the fifth place, the ability to act independently. All of us like to be independent, right? I don't need to consult with anybody. I can do as I please. How nice it was when you only had to consult with yourself when you were single. Amen? Isn't that right, Timothy? (laughs) Um, You know, after Elaine and I got married and Like a year later, all of a sudden, she had Tina, and I'm going, what a wonderful thing. Started out as one of me, now it's two, now it's three. Um, And uh, so one day, you know, I said to Elaine, we're going to the store. And she said, just a minute. Uh, You know, I've got to get a milk bottle for for Tina. I've got to get the diaper bag ready with a change of clothes and diapers and everything. Back in those days, by the way, it was all diapers that you had to wash out. Um, No throwaway diapers. Um, and I said, well, how long is it going to take you? Well, I've got to get it all ready, you know. An hour later, finally, we left for the store. I wasn't so excited about going to the store anymore, okay? Um, yeah, you know, fatherhood had to come along to teach me not to be 
acting independently. I had other people that I had to be concerned about. And that's what taught me how to be a pastor. A pastor has to care about the people in his church. Amen? I have to be more concerned about you than I am about myself. Now, Jesus Christ had to leave his acting independently in heaven when he came to earth, and he had to act in dependence on God the Father. John 8, 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. In the sixth place, the ability to speak independently. Yeah. I thought yesterday, I don't remember who we were talking about, but uh, we were quoting someone and Elaine said very graciously about something that I disagree with very thoroughly and obviously she did too. Well, they have a right to their opinion. Um, and I thought, yeah, okay. And I said, even if I disagree with it, they do have a right to their opinion because we all have a right to speak independently. Amen? Um, that even includes unpopular language. But Jesus Christ gave up his right to speak independently. He would only speak what God the Father told him. John 14, 10 says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. The seventh thing that he left was the ability to independently know things. You realize that this has been a craving of man since the Garden of Eden. The devil was able to tempt Eve by saying to her, you can know things that you don't know right now. Just eat this fruit. He didn't tell her what things she would know. Like she knew what it meant to bury one of her sons. She knew what it meant to cry because one of her sons killed her other son. She found out very quickly what it meant to be cast out of the Garden of Eden, to suffer the consequences of having um, sinned. Yeah, she could find out how to know things that God never intended for her to know. God never wanted us to know what it was like to suffer. He made a perfect place for us. 
But man, by his very nature, doesn't know everything that God knows. We were made in the image of God. We do know things, but we don't know everything. And Jesus Christ had to leave in heaven his ability to know things independently and only know what God the Father allowed him as man to know. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no man, he says. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Again, in Mark's gospel, chapter 13, verse 32, even more explicitly, Jesus said, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. All those things that Jesus left to become a man, they all had to be restored. And they were all restored beginning at the resurrection. So returning to Philippians again, Philippians chapter 2. We read verses 5 to 8. I'm going to begin at verse 9 now. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of the glory that Christ left when he left heaven, of which he emptied himself, it's all going to be restored. There was a need to restore that lost glory. He needed to have that glory back. This is what Christ asked for in his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. John 17 Verses 1 to 5, John 17, 1 to 5. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Before ever there was a planet Earth, before ever he had even created time, Jesus Christ eternally 
the Son of God, sharing all these things with God the Father, of the same essence as God the Father, came down to earth to die in your place and mine on Calvary. He set all those things aside that we might have eternal life. But the glory of Christ, which had been promised already in Isaiah 45, that glory of Christ which he had with the Father before the world was, had to be restored. In Isaiah 45, verse 21, it says, Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take Counsel together, who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord, that's Jehovah, capitalized L-O-R-D. And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me, every knee shall bow unto Jehovah. But Paul said, at the name of Jesus. Okay. Unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. The glory of Christ that he set aside in heaven. He calls on us to set it aside. And there's no better day for us to remember this than Resurrection Sunday. We remember today that Christ rose from the dead and it began what we talk about on the restoration of his glory. How ready are you to give up your own glory? How ready are you? to give up the independent use of your judgment, the independent use of your own will, the independent use of your own power to do the works of God, the independent exhibition of your own glory, the ability to act independently, the ability to speak independently, and the ability to independently know things. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul calls on us to have. And what I would think that today would remind us again, he left it all to save your soul. How much are you willing to leave 
of your own self to serve God and do what he's called on you to do. Let's pray.